Well, good morning. No, you're good, Sonia. You're good. I was just faster, so it's good. All right. Well, good morning. Yay. Okay. Well, I have not had the pleasure of meeting you. My name is Jesse Carlson. I'm one of the pastors here. Again, thanks for being uh, here today, and I'm super excited for our time together. So, one of the great joys in my life this past season has been when I'm washing dishes at night, my husband is on book five of the Harry Potter series with our oldest son. So I'm really curious, how many of you have actually read Harry Potter? Okay, so for the rest of you muggles, just just stay tuned. And there's most of you since you got that joke. Okay, good. I was very curious. So I, I read them when I was younger, and I remember at the time, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have so much fun doing this with my own children. And Reese will read them with my husband, my oldest son, and then him and I get to watch the movies when he finishes a book. And so um, it's not for lack of trying, but I got so excited when I'm like, you want to read them? Mommy, I'll read them. And he's like, I'm going to read them with daddy. Like, <laughs> you're going to act like that, mom. And so, but what we've done, it's been so fun because as I've gone through this the second time, obviously, you know, through the eyes of an, an older adult now, I've noticed things that I hadn't noticed before. And if any of you don't know what Harry Potter, it's like one of the best-selling kids series of all times. There's a as a picture of the book. Um, but what I've realized is it's not just about Harry, Hermione, Ron, Voldemort, and Neville, a favorite in our household. It's not even just about magic. It's not about spells. It's not even about children growing up, yet all those things are in it. It's actually Harry Potter is about one main thing, and that is love. See, love is the reason, for those of you who don't know, and I'm not ruining the series here, okay? Just going to say that for those of you who have never read it. It's the very reason Harry exists. So Lord Voldemort, this really evil wizard, was uh, wanting more magic. He was wanting this power in this imaginary world, right? And in order to do that, he felt like he had to kill a bunch of wizards, that, uh, including Harry's uh, parents, when he was a baby. But in an act of sacrificial love that will actually define Harry's life in the entire wizarding world around him, his mother jumps in front of Voldemort's spell when he's just a baby, and because of that, his life is saved. And I don't think you can see it on that picture, but there's actual mark that Harry re always refers to in all of the books from where the spell bounced off of it. And what I never noticed before when I was watching the movie with Reese um, from the very first book, there's a scene where Voldemort and Harry um, are together in this, in this I'm not going to, like, room, I'll say. And um, Voldemort says this line that I had never noticed before. And he says to Harry, he says, in my quest for all of the knowledge and all of the power and all of the magic in the world, I overlooked one thing. I overlooked the oldest magic that ever was, that of love. And I thought, and he said particularly, sacrificial love. And because of this sacrificial love, Harry's able to then live a life and he's able to, yes, have a life marked with great sorrow and loss, but also abundance as he's able to actually receive love because of the sacrifice his mom gave and show it to others throughout the world. Now, I, let me always clarify like I do. I'm not, I'm not like telling you all to read Harry Potter, okay? But I think that old magic of the deepest magic of love was something powerful. And I bring this up today because I think the word love is used a lot uh, 
in our common, like in our world today, right? In our church. I, I hope we use the word love. We, we are a church, right? But I think sometimes we can use it so much that it's become an afterthought, or I actually think potentially a little bit more damaging. It's become second nature. It's become so common, we've actually forgotten the true weight that the word brings in our lives. And I would say that if I were to survey this room, which I won't, but if I were to survey my workplace, my children's school, our organizations, our families, and we were to ask the question, what is more important, love or hate? What do you think people would mostly say? Love, right? I would hope so, right? Now, and you don't have to answer this, it's more of a rhetorical question, how would you describe this, time, this period of time? If we say that love is more important than hate, but are we actually acting in ways that are loving or more ways that are filled with hate, with discord, with confusion, with anger, with anxiety? And I think if we were actually honest with ourselves, we'd probably say the answer is no, we're not living more out of a place of love, both inside and outside of the church. So if you haven't caught it, our theme today is going to be love, okay? Uh, and the reason this is, it's actually not because of Valentine's Day, I should clarify. <laughs> I just realized that in my head is I need to buy a card for my husband actually today on the way home. He's not here, so he's not going to hear that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but we are in our second week in a sermon series on the book of 1 John. And one of the main themes throughout the letters of 1 John is love. And these letters are written by the Apostle Paul, or John, um, and they serve as a reminder and encouragement at the time. We're going to unpack a little bit more, more to a certain set of churches uh, that he was writing to at the time who were going through some challenging. And I think the reason why we chose to go through First John is just the, the, uh, uh, the application that they have to our lives today and in the things of love. So... We're going to look at the old magic that God talked about, love. So if you join me in 1 John 2, 7 through 11, I'm reading it through the New Living Translation. All right, dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment, for it is an old one you have always had right from the beginning. This commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. This commandment is true in Christ and is true among you because the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone says, I am living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person, person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves other Christians is living in the light and does not cause anyone to stumble. And anyone who hates a Christian brother or sister is living and walking in darkness. Such a person is lost, having been blinded by the darkness. And as I kind of referred to earlier, scholars believe that John is actually writing this in his later years. So he's lived his life. He's seen some experiences, right? So he's extending this letter to this church as more of a kind of a extended care, concern, encouragement. And this particular church that John is writing to is finding itself in a time and place where the culture, the influences of the time were beginning to appear more appealing, right, to the people and to the leadership within the church. And since this 
early church had been around for a few decades. This is a few decades after Jesus had died on the cross and gone back up to heaven. There was some fractions in the leadership, right? And in saying, hey, I actually think the church should go this way. And actually, I think the church should go this way. And this church in particular, scholars believe, and I'm going to look at my notes to make sure I kind of get this right, was being shaken by a group of people who believed that their knowledge made them more spiritual elite. And they didn't need to live out the practicalities of love the actions and character of love. But what John is reminding the church in this section of verses that I just read, I believe, and that we're going to unpack today is reminding them of the old magic, right, that they had known from the beginning, from the beginning when God had created the earth, the old magic to love God and to love one another. See, since the beginning of time, it was out of love that God had created humanity. He created the earth But since the beginning of time, first Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel and time and time again, people failed miserably, yet God still showed up in love. And it's why he sent his son, Jesus, to come on the cross, okay? That's why Jesus came so many, many years ago and died on the cross and rose back to heaven. Yet, John also goes to great lengths in this section to point out, did you guys catch this? Well, that it's an old commandment. It's also what? Oh, good job, you guys. Okay, it's also new, okay? And, and because they're living in the time after Christ died, and I had to ask myself a question, and I ask us today, why does John make this distinction? Why does he say it's an old commandment and it's a new commandment? Okay, I think that's really important to note. Well, one commentary I read wrote this, and I think this really helps frame our conversation. It says, It is a new commandment, right, to love God, love others, because Jesus' coming has fully shown us God's love, and he enables us, here's the key words, to live in love. The mark of the person who lives in the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is love for other Christians. While love enables God's people not to stumble into sin, hate so blinds a person that all of life becomes a stumbling. See, the old magic, right, to to keep my Harry Potter reference going, of loving God and others is new because Jesus' coming has shown this particular church, and we're still living in this time of after Jesus coming and dying on the cross as well, showing us what true love is. And now we're able to live in love. So I ask this question. What does it actually mean for us today to live in love? Love. That's what we're going to talk about today. So can I invite you to pray? You can put your hands out if you want. You can just sit. You can keep your eyes open, closed, whatever it is, as we examine what it means to live in love. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you today. I thank you, God, that as that beautiful song, Reckless Love, that you love us no matter what. Your love is strong. Your wide is big. Your wide is, your love is deep. And it's also sometimes really quiet in our lives. And so I pray, God, that people would just now be drenched with your love, God. Let us sit in your love, let us reside in your love, and let us bring your love to others. Let my words not get in the way of the work that you are doing in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are currently living in what multiple different schools of thought are dubbing the anxiety economy. Have some of you heard this before? 
I think it's just fascinating. Um, much of it due to the upheaval of the past few years, right? A lot of uncertainty has led to fear. Fear can lead to anxiety, and anxiety can lead to reactivity, right? And so we've seen this at global economic levels, right? Global wars, right? There's a, a monstrous amount of anxiety in our global systems. But what I sometimes think we can overlook, right, because you know, we're not dwelling on this every second of every day, is that this global atmosphere is anxiety has a trickle-down effect. It trickles down into our organizations. It trickles down into our lo local governments. It trickles down into our schools. It trickles down into our churches. It trickles down into our families, into our lives, and eventually into each of us as individuals and our souls, and we don't even realize how this affects us and how we can show up in the world. And technology has made this bad, anxious news, sometimes good news too, right, just come to us faster. If I, I forgot my phone, I gave it to my friend Liz because I didn't want it to ring when I was going off here. But like if you were to pull out your phone and swipe right now, don't do it, but swipe right now, you'd see like five news stories right, right in a row. And 10 minutes later, you'd see five new news stories, right? It's not bad. I love the news. I'm going to go watch Meet the Press, right, when I get home. And then every other news channel too because I like the balanced, the, all the different views right? But technology has just made this a little bit easier for us to get. See, the speed of information that we have at our fingertips, the noise, the amount of things I can listen to, I can read, I can learn in a given week, sometimes can feel rushed. And that's great. I've got a lot of access to stuff. But it can lead us to anxiety. And again, when we get anxious, we can get reactive and we rush. And it feels like, hey, if this person's keeping up this pace, I must be able to. If the world's moving at this pace, I need to move, be moving at this pace. And if we can't, we think, well, gosh, we must be doing something wrong then. But actually, I don't think that's it. Ruth Haley Barton, uh, in her book, uh, Spiritual Rhythms, is a great spiritual director. And she writes this about the time that we're living in. Constant noise, interruption, and drivenness to be more productive cut us off from or at least interrupt the direct experience of God and other human beings. And this is more isolating than we realize because we are experiencing less meaningful human and divine connection. We are emptier relationally and we try harder and harder to fill that loneliness with even more noise and stimulation. In so doing, we lose touch with the quieter and more subtle experiences of God within. Let me say this. Technology is not inherently bad. I use it every day. I actually think the kingdom of God can be spread on technology in ways that has not been able to be spread before, right? It's amazing. And I also, to be fully vulnerable, am eagerly awaiting the Super Bowl tonight and eagerly awaiting the release of seasons three of Bluey and Ted Lasso in 2023, all right? I, too, use technology, right? But what I think I say and what I think this quote so beautifully says is that we have to be aware of the atmosphere we're living in. We have to be aware of the noise and distractions and what that's doing to us. And as Ruth, Ruth, Bailey, sorry, Ruth Haley Barton says so well, we can sometimes lose touch with the quieter and more subtle experiences of God within so again, I ask this question. Are you guys sticking with me? If we're in this noise, if we're in this anxiety, right, what does it actually look like to embrace this old magic that's new and live in love? 
I stumbled upon through a pastor, like a nationally, internationally known pastor quoted him, and I was so intrigued by this thought that I I got his books, and I've been reading them, and his name is Kasuki Koyuma. He was actually born in the 1920s. He's a Japanese theologian, but his centerpiece work was titled A Three-Mile-An-Hour God. And I'm just going to read this quote by him that I think really describes the essence of what it means to live in God. And he quotes, and it'll be on your screen, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all speeds, since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore, it is the speed the love of God walks. And I think what this so beautifully says is that due to the noise around us, right, we're not able to notice that slow that steady three-mile-an-hour God, reckless love that is in our lives because there's so much going on. This is not to shame anybody. This is not to say to go quit your job or anything like that, please. It's being aware, right, of who we are and what God has for us in store. John Ortberg, an American theology, a theologian, also said it very simply and shortly, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Now, if this is true, right, that love has this three-mile-an-hour speed, specifically the love of God, then we must be intentional and slow down to live a a life of love. So what does this look like practically for you and I? Let me tell you two examples of what I'm not thinking of. One, it's not to be Thoreau who goes out into the woods, right, and says, I'm leaving everything, right, famous uh, philosopher and says, I'm leaving anything. It doesn't also mean you get to sack out on the couch and say, hey, I'm just going to sack out on the couch, drink a beverage, and watch Netflix and eat chips and popcorn, although that's what I do many of Friday nights, okay? I'm not going to lie. That's okay. That's crashing, right? We need to do that. But I think we actually need to look to Jesus and how he intentionally slowed down his life and his space so that he could embody God's love. Now, when you go back into the Gospels, the books of the Bible that record Jesus' time on earth in a physical body, you will note he was never rushed. Now, there were other people, probably like me, to be completely honest, on a Sunday morning. You go do that. You go do that. I'm like the worst person. I get that if you know me, right? I run really fast. I'm checking my email on the phone, okay? I have to really focus hard to, to, to look at the person in front of you when I've got a million things going on in my head. And there were others around that with Jesus. His disciples going, hey, Jesus, you got to hurry up. This girl is sick and she's dying. And why are you taking your time? Jesus, there are hundreds of people here. Why are you stopping to look at this one? And the truth is, right, Jesus didn't rush. Now, there's one exception for those of you who are trying to think through of times when Jesus rushed. It's when Jesus saw people using the temple to sell things, right, in the marketplace. And he was so upset because it was actually hurting the poor and marginalized at the time that he was throwing over tables, right, to try to defend the poor. And there was probably some haste there. But Jesus didn't rush. He was intentional with his presence and always focused, like I said, on the person in front of him. If he had rushed, this presence would have been 
different. And besides not rushing, you will see time and time again Jesus doing another thing. He was intentional and deliberate with spending time in solitude with God time and time again. There's a very famous miracle that Jesus did in Matthew 14 where he's gathered in front of a group of 5,000 plus and this little boy has some loaves and fishes, right? If you've ever been in Sunday school or if you've never been, so this is the essence of the story. And what Jesus does is he basically feeds this crowd of 5,000 plus with these little loaves of bread and fish. So here's what I can imagine, right? I'm sure people are in awe. You've been, there's thousands of people. Everybody's getting fed, right? I'm sure there's a lot of excitement for Jesus and his disciples at this time. But in Matthew 14, 22, this is what Jesus does after everybody's fed. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Now, if I'm Jesus' disciples, I'm sitting here going, we got him, Jesus. You just fed him. You got a miracle. We got to pray. We got to teach, right? We got to keep this momentum going, right? We need more people. We need more followers, right? But Jesus didn't. He dismissed them and said, you need to go take a break. And he said, I'm going to go over here in solitude, and I'm going to just sit and commune with my God. Here's my question today, people. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to be in solitude, what does that mean for mere mortals like you and I? Okay? Now, some of you might be sitting here, and you're like, oh, finally, this is amazing. Others of you are like, my schedule is already busy enough, Jesse. How can you even think of asking me to do another thing? Right? I came here to sit, and, and I, I don't get this. And that's actually my reaction to most days. Let me ask you your question this way. Where in your current life could you begin to build in a few moments, even if it's a minute or two, of unhurried, solitude, silent time with God? Not because he demands it, not because his love for you will change, but because God's love is there at that three mile an hour space deep within our hearts. But in our hurried states, sometimes in this anxiety culture we live in, we miss out on living in love unless we are intentional with slowing down to be actually aware and experience God's deep, deep love for us. So let me give you just a really few practical examples of this. Um, if I confess, I uh, am not good at solitude and silence. I'm the type of person that the second I turn into the, come into the car, I like turn on the radio. I have um, the like... NPR was a constant when my kids, my kids are in grade school now, but when I was home with them when they were little, I had some music on or a news station on like at all times, like silence terrified me, okay? It really did. And I've been trying, it's something that I really feel like God has been asking me personally to lean into. And about two months ago, I was just, I'm like, God, my brain feels really full. You know, I, I, when we're working, right? I have children at home, I'm going to karate. We have other family things, the noise of the world, right? We all have our stuff, right? I doubt any of you, many of you, are sitting here going, I just wish I had more things to do, right? No, right? It's okay to live full lives. We do have full lives. But I was talking to God, and I said, God, I just need you to find me time so my brain's not overload. And he goes, well, what about some of the time you already have? And I went, well, gosh, I don't know when I can find silence in my life. And he's like, well, do you drive? I went, well, yeah. You know, you, you say you see me all the time, God, so I'm hoping that you notice that I'm driving. So he said, why don't you turn off the radio? And I went, oh, 
but that's like my time, right? My podcast time, my learning time. It's like the one time I'm all alone. He's like, yeah, so just try it. It was hard. I can't, like some of you might be joking, like laughing at me thinking this is hard and others of you are like, I get this, right? Right, because I love it. And the radio's not bad, NPR's not bad, but I needed to create the space. So about two months ago, I actually was pretty intentional with trying to turn it off. Let me tell you, I had to grip my hands on the wheels the first time to not try to go to my podcast. Like, it was like, I, God, but you know what? That 10 minutes after a few weeks, I started noticing I was a different person when I would leave work and go to get my kids in the school pickup line. This morning, actually, when I drove in, I realized I was halfway here before I even thought about turning on the radio as my mind was just kind of trying to be centered for my morning activities. I don't think we have to create the wheel new. I just think there's that question of where can we experience some solitude time so that we can actually pause to feel God's space. Another question, an example, not from me, um, where actually I'm teaching with a friend of mine, Bitta, a spiritual practices class um, at church, which has been so much fun on Wednesday nights. And the, the practice actually this week was silence and solitude. So we were debriefing in small groups, what it was, and a person who's a kindergarten teacher actually said, you know, I don't think I realized this, but I think I've been practicing this the past year and a half. And have any of you, if any of you have ever been in a kindergarten classroom, I wouldn't describe that as a quiet place, right? Do you know what I mean? This is a quiet place right now because you're adults and you know how to sit. I can guarantee our kids and youth are making noise because that's what they do. But he said, I realized between being a kindergarten teacher where I'm pouring out every ounce of energy to these kids, and then I go home, you know, I have a home to take care of, I have a wife, I have kids. And he said, I just had no space. So here's this practice, and he said, I think this has really helped. I shut my door at lunch, I sit down at my desk, I turn off, like I close my phone, and I sit and I chew my food in silence. He goes, sometimes I'll turn on, he goes, in full disclosure, some instrumental music, right? But he said, just this practice of like sitting and actually chewing my food. He said, I'm able to then go into my afternoon with a little bit of refreshed energy and I'm a much different person. This is actually not rocket science, but it's really hard. I don't want to negate that, okay? And hear my heart. I'm not asking us to isolate ourselves. I actually think that is... That's worse. This actually prepares us so when we go into community, we're actually more in tuned with the people around us and we're actually more in tuned with God, right? It's creating the space so we can be present. And I think the more that I learn about God, the more that I look at these scriptures in 1 John, the more we look at Jesus' example, unless I'm slowing down, makes it extremely hard for me to receive God's love and to love others. Now, some of you... (laughs) Thank you, whoever said that, okay? Some of you may be wondering why I've spent so much time when we're talking about living in love, talking about just receiving God's love. And others of you are like, oh, thank God. I thought she was gonna go tell us to do a bunch of actions and to love others. Well, both groups will be disappointed because that's the next part, okay? All right? Now, okay, because here's the truth, okay? The old magic that we're living out in this new commandment was not to only love God, but to love others as well. And one is not more important than the other. I think that there's one thing that I could like, if you could take away from this, it's that living in love is both receiving God's love and giving love out. We actually need to do both, okay? We can't extend love to others without first receiving God's love. And, we're, and if we're just receiving God's love and not extending it out to others, then we're not actually fully living in love, okay? 
So a few years ago, my children, I took, I have two boys. Do you guys remember at the beginning of COVID, those drive-up birthday parties, okay? Where, you know, you like get out in the car, like you drive up to the car, you wave. Sometimes you get like a piece of cake through a window and a goodie bag, because and we were all masked and things like that. So we drove up, it was freezing cold. I think it was in November. And it was one of my dear friends who I love more than life. And I'm still friends with her even after this experience. But she decided in her infinite wisdom that in the goodie bags, because all of the kids were stuck at home with nothing to do, that she should give them a new toy. And you can put that image on the screen, a kazoo. So she had goodie bags that sat home with every child and a kazoo. And I understand her intention, right? Like, this will be fun. It'll give the kids something to do. But what I found myself is for the next hour, my two children were screaming through our house, blaring kazoos, and all I could think of was, I think this is having an unintended consequence as I quickly confiscated them, hid them for the sake of our family, okay? If any of you had children blaring kazoos or adults, see, yeah, it's not fun. And Gary wanted me to actually bring one, but I love you all too much to start blaring that. So, but this kazoo experience reminds me of a very famous verse in Corinthians. And if you've ever been to a wedding ceremony, you've, might, you've probably had a good chance of hearing that. And because it's, which is great, it's used at weddings, but because I think we forget it applies to all aspects of love. And that is from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. And I read this from the message version. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day and if I have faith that says to a mountain jump and it jumps but I don't love I'm nothing if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr but I don't love I've gotten nowhere so no matter what I say what I believe and what I do I'm bankrupt without love so just like learning without application is simply knowledge Love without action is simply a word. It's a rusty gate. Other uh, iterations of it say a clanging symbol, right? It's love without a purpose. And John notes this in his letters in chapter 3 of 1 John, that uh, reminding the church under the new commandment, this new old magic, love also requires action. So in 1 John 3.16, he writes... We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. See, living in love means putting the love of God into the world through actions, just like Jesus did for us. Um, my sons love Minecraft and Super Mario, two things I knew nothing about until three months ago. I did not grow up with, like, switches and Wiis, and I'm sorry. I d like, I really, I'm, I'm a beginner. But, and I, so I begrudgingly, because they were, they were asking for one, they had saved money for one, they, they had, like, proposed the plan of how much they could fit it into their allotted screen time so, like, it could still fit in. And so I was like, okay, so I begrudgingly, I, this is kind of embarrassing. I was like, fine, you can do it. I'm going to get this for you because I love you. And even though I don't understand it, seems like something you can play with your dad on, and that'll be great. And I thought I would never have to deal with it again, right? I'll have 30 minutes. 
they can play, I can wash the dishes, do you know what I mean? Like, I can clean, great. Like, I love you, I'm gonna get this thing for you, right? Well, a few weeks ago, I walked downstairs and I heard my old, one of my kiddos, I can't remember which one, talking to my husband. And he said, Daddy, I don't understand. Why isn't Mommy, like, interested in this? Like, why isn't she liking this? And he goes, well, you know, Mommy is busy. And, you know, Mommy um, didn't really, like, do this growing up. And he goes, oh, well, I know. I mean, I'm glad that she got this for us. But I just wish she'd try a little harder to actually pretend to like it. So, right, now the mom in me is like, oh, gosh, you know, fail. But I, I share that because I think there's a bigger concept in there, right? I love them. I would die for my kids in a heartbeat, right? I got this thing for them out of love, right? It wasn't enough, though. I needed the action of sitting down on a Saturday morning and going, okay, buddy, I don't understand this, but tell me how you find intrigue with building blocks for Minecraft. And sitting down in love is them laughing out loud at me as I'm screaming and playing Super Mario Kart going, Jessica Carlson is better than you, mommy. And I'm like trying to like not get in last place. And the X button and the I, whatever, I'm trying. And I don't like to be an amateur at anything. That's one of my weaknesses. So I'm trying to sit there in our living room with my husband looking at me. And I'm like, yep, like here we go, right? As I'm like trying to live out what I preach to you today. But love, like giving our stuff, unless we're actually embodying it and showing up, isn't enough. It's the end of the tax season. I don't know if some of you have been going through like giving statements, right? As taxes are due on April 15th and, and companies are emailing out, organizations are emailing out. And every single year, every single year, this is something I'm not proud of. But I look at what my husband and I, you know, there's certain organizations if we donate money to or the tithe we give to the church Every single year, you know what my first reaction is when I look at those? Oh, man, that would have been really nice to have in savings. Oh, man, we could have, like, you know, taken a little bit, used that on a trip. Oh, man, God, really? Do you really want us to give? Like, is this really what you want us to do? Because it kind of stinks sometimes. And every time, God goes, Jesse. He's like, one, yeah, and two, because love costs us something. See, sometimes it's big things, right? I'm not trying to negate that. And sometimes it's small things. But love costs us something. Um, Lindsay, our tech person, was telling me, I'm not even going to try to say it, but there's an actual phrase now for when people are constantly texting when you're talking to them. I don't know, but there's an actual, because it's such a phenomenon now that when you're in a conversation and somebody's texting, there's a phenomenon. What would it cost you, and maybe you're that person, or maybe you've experienced that, just to set down that phone to give presence and show up for people in love, right? See, love costs us our time, our resources, our comfort, and as we give ourselves away in our possessions, which is my, my friend, that living in love requires both receiving God's love and extending it. It's not one or the other. We need both. I'm wrapping up here. So I read an article from a few months ago as I kind of tie it back into where we started, from a social psychologist discussing the anxiety culture that we live in. And at the end of the article, she offered a solution forward, and I found it so compelling. I want to read it with you today. This is from a social psychologist. Uh, her name is Maggie Mulqueen. When anxiety and fear grip our hearts, it's hard to keep our priorities straight and stay connected to others, especially in our wider community. 
Our culture tells us it's every man for himself, even as history shows us the dire consequences of holding this attitude. We are all tired from the pandemic and no one welcomes the very real pain that comes with an economic downturn. But we have a choice, either to stay connected and help one another or to go it alone and see others only as competitors for limited resources dragging us all down. I thought that was so compelling because at the end I said, oh my goodness, I think this is really similar to what Jesus said, right? He put us in this world not to see each other as competitors, not to see our neighbors as competitors, but to live through him, to receive his love, to receive his mercy so that we can take that love and we can extend it to others. See, loving others doesn't mean we agree or even accept everything they do. Love doesn't mean acceptance. Love means, as C.H. Dodd, a Welsh theologian, said, the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. So living in love, as I close, and worship team, you can start coming up, isn't an either or, it's a both and. It's experiencing God in the depths of our souls, taking those few moments in the hustle and bustle to remind ourselves that we are a human being created by a creator that loves us no matter what. It's experiencing God and sacrificing for others. It's receiving God's love and forgiveness and giving generously. See, it's not two separate things. They're so entwined that you can't have one without the other, okay? And so for today, I have one action step that's kind of two, okay? Can you guys live nuance with me, okay? So our next step today that I invite you to take out on your Connect cards and offering folks, you can come up. We're actually, um, they can come up as I talk and then there's gonna be a chance for you to put your offering in the basket as well, your connect cards, but is to live in love. Now, what that means is you can't have one thing without the other. So here's the invitation to live in love this week. The first one is to slow down. Is there even a one or two minute thing of unhurried solitude time you can take if that's in the car? Even, for example, you know what one person I talked to said this week? For them, it was not picking up their phone first thing in the morning and swiping the news. Even that, just saying, hmm, I'm gonna take a breath. So find a few minutes of unhurried solitude time in the second. What is a practical way to show people around that you love? And I actually have a really great opportunity if you'd like to participate in that as a community. So about a year ago, actually, we did this event and it was so much fun, we decided to do it again. So over the next few weeks, we are going to be collecting, and I think there's gonna be some pictures on stage quick, care packages, and I forgot, that's what I forgot this morning, a bag. Care packages, you can see them up there in a Ziploc bag to share with people as we're driving around in our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to share with people who are, uh, don't have adequate housing, okay? So our outreach team we've partnered with, and they have come up with a list of items that you see right there, hand warmer socks, band-aids, chapstick, cheese and crackers, and little beef jerky sticks, that these items are really practical to give to people who are maybe living on the streets and don't have secure housing. Over the next few weeks until March 1st, we're asking people as a church to bring these items in. Does that make sense? You can choose one item, you can choose two. There's a table in the back that you can actually grab a card that says, hey, I'm gonna bring you know, cheese and crackers or something like that. And then what we get to do, if you keep clicking through the pictures, on March 5th, our third through fifth graders in our youth are actually going to be packaging them, giving them in bags, 
And then we will each be able to take one and put in our car so that we can actually love others in a practical way this winter and spring season. All right? So you don't have to do that, but that's one thing we're offering is just a really practical way that we can love as a community. All right? So live in love. God bless you. Happy Super Bowl Day. And ushers, you can come up. The band's going to start playing, and you may take the offering.